0: What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly. Next week, the Ringer Podcast Network is debuting a new podcast with Vampire Weekend bandmates Chris Thompson and Chris Bayo called The Road Taken.
1: Here's a quick trailer with more info. Hello, friends. Welcome to the trailer for The Road Taken with CT and
0: Bayo. I'm Bayo, aka Chris Bayo. I've watched Chris bring his sunny positivity and shredding basslines to stages all around the world for the past 13 years in the band
1: Vampire Weekend. And I'm CT. Which is short for Chris Thompson. For the past 13 years, you've been my sneakily dark rhythm section partner. We've embarked on a massive world tour and are excited to experience all the thrills and boredom that entails. To help us process our own experiences along the way, we'll be having conversations with peers, idols, and maybe a rando or two. The Road Taken with CT and Bayo, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, coming soon on all podcast platforms.
0: Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, how you doing, buddy? Big update from Baltimore. Wink Martindale, defensive coordinator of the Ravens, said he lost four
1: pounds because he watched his defense against the Chiefs three times throughout every time.
0: That's one way to do it. If I were him, I probably would have done the same thing, though, because rewatching that game, that McCole Hardman touchdown is not what you want. Guys running 70 yards up the seam untouched against the Chiefs defense or against the Chiefs offense that normally makes it look pretty easy. Typically, you want it to be a little tougher than that against them.
1: Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, listen, it was Mahomes. I, I kind of think you throw out all Mahomes
0: performances, right? Yeah, I think so. But I mean, there are some moments in there where you want to be a little bit. Oh, better. no, I, I, I'm aware of this. Like the Demarcus Robinson one, what are you going to do about that? Right. I mean, that's, there's nothing you can do, but there's still moments where it's like, all right, maybe we want to make the bar a little bit higher for this guy considering yeah. what he does against good teams. Here's the thing about Mahomes,
1: right? There is no defense for a perfectly thrown pass. And the problem is that you marry those schemes with those perfectly thrown passes, and there's just going to be four or five things a game you just can't do anything about. So if you make mistakes on top of that, that's when you're really, really screwed.
0: We're going to talk more about the Ravens later today when we get into our biggest three games of the week. We're going to start things off, though, by talking about some of the teams that are unintentionally tanking so far this season. Let's start with Washington, who... uh, Let's start with the Redskins, whose coach announced earlier this week that they are going to go with... Case Keenum as their quarterback. and It mm. is not time for D- Dwayne Haskins quite yet. So you tweeted on Monday night during that objectively awful <laughs> Redskins performance yeah. in the first half, that the difference between Washington and Miami is that Washington isn't trying to do this, which is true. So right now, just kind of taking stock of where this franchise is, is there just a blueprint for where they go from here? Does this end with Jay Gruden getting fired? Them starting with Dwayne Haskins next season. Are there any answers here for them?
1: You know, it's interesting to me because someone recirculated a piece from a couple of years ago in which the Redskins got embarrassed on Monday night and the Daniel Snyder kind of panicked and went out and did whatever it took to get Mike Shanahan. And one of the things I think is interesting and instructive for the Redskins here is they seem to always go after they default to getting the biggest name possible or trying to get the biggest name possible. That's how you end up with Steve Spurrier. That's how you end up with some of their free agent additions, especially early on. Um, That has kept happening. They have Josh Norman because he was the big fish they really like. And Daniel Snyder really likes big names. Jay Gruden is not that, even though his last name is that uh, it's a little bit different. So is there a scenario in which they've hit rock bottom and 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 Daniel Snyder goes out and says, we're going to go get a Lincoln Riley. We're going to go get somebody like that and just throw him all the cash. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I think that a lot of it depends... Look, this goes back to Dwayne Haskins. Is he ready to play? Uh, Jay Gruden thinks thinks not. But if he comes in and has a Daniel Jones, and I can't believe I'm saying that, a Daniel (laughs) Jones-like breakout, then maybe Jay Gruden gets to be the guy for next year. I don't know. This seems like rock bottom to me, but to be totally honest with you, I've probably said that about Washington a handful of times, and it's gotten worse.
0: The problem with Washington is that even if they replace their coach with whoever it is, I don't think it's going to be Lincoln Riley, but if it's a really good option, the best possible option, mm-hmm. you still have the same owner, and you probably are still going to have the same GM. I mean, these problems run so deep for them. And the way they've constructed this team is terrible. I mean, just the way that it's, it has been for a decade. And they make the wrong decisions for the wrong reasons, and it's left them with a roster that just isn't good. There just isn't any talent on this team. Josh Norman isn't playing well. So even your expensive players have been bad. Josh Norman is like remarkably bad. So something is wrong. There's just nothing going for them. I mean, Terry McLaurin's been awesome. That's like the only yeah. thing that's good about this team is that their one rookie receiver has been excellent. But every other big-time move they've made over the last couple seasons has not worked out to the degree that they would want. Landon Collins has been fine. He's a nice player. He's not playing to a $14 million level. So it's just hard to find optimism with this team, even if Haskins ends up being pretty good. And even if they find the right coach next year, I just have no faith on the, in the talent pipeline with this team because they make all the wrong decisions for all the wrong reasons consistently.
1: So they play in three weeks, the Miami Dolphins. And I think that's important. <laughs> if they lose to the Dolphins, I mean, I listen, I got no incentive information on this particular thing. If they lose to the Dolphins then my guess is Jay Gruden's tenure might end midseason. Might end you know, at, gone, at right? six PM that day. Um it almost reminds the Dolphins are now going to be kind of like, you know, the SEC schools where if you lose to them, you get fired. Like in the old days, Mississippi State was like that. I'm sure there's one right now like that, where you just like, okay, well you lost to this team, you're out, you're gone. And that's kind of the Dolphins right now. If you lose the Dolphins right now, uh, unless you're, you know, unless you have some some Belichick like job security. You're you're pretty much on your way. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be a nice test. In the same way, we like to see Mahomes go against you know great defenses against Belichick's defense, whatever against Wink Martindale's defense. The opposite is true with with the Redskins and the Dolphins. I want to see how these two teams and their plans match up. Because again, as I said the Redskins are not meaning to be bad where the Dolphins are. So when they play, I'm really fascinated to see how those two things work
0: themselves out. What do you think is the argument right now against playing Haskins? Do you think it's just such an abject disaster that you gain nothing by throwing him into this? Well, listen, Keenum was under pressure a lot. By the way, you know, yes, you know, know. You know, you
1: know who would be great to have right now? Trent Williams. Yeah, that would be nice. You know what else would be great to have if you, in, in lieu of Trent Williams? A first-round pick. for Trent Williams. Either of those seems to work. And right now they've got nothing. They don't have the trade value for for Trent Williams. They don't have Trent Williams. So maybe they should sort that out at some point. Eric Flowers is just on the team. We don't talk enough about that. Trust
0: me, I was talking a lot about it before the season started. It's awesome. The Trent Williams thing is so interesting because why wouldn't you, if you know you're bottoming out, Just get the first round pick. Again, this is, I don't know. I don't agree with all the things the Dolphins are doing, but I do think they at least understand and have some self-awareness about where they are as a franchise. They dealt their left tackle, and it's working out the same way it would have worked out if he were on the team. And that's what's happening with Washington. If you're going to be terrible anyway, why not just get a first round pick for the guy? He's not playing. Yeah. It it just makes no sense. I think
1: there's some confusion over whether or not a a first-round pick has actually been offered. I think that there were some reports. There was that report a couple of weeks ago that the Patriots offered a first-round pick, which I think has been debunked. Um, and I think I, I, I would imagine there's reason for Washington to leak that a first-round pick has been offered, but I'm not totally sure. They also but, have
0: very little leverage in this scenario. Right. It, it's a little bit different. I mean, the guy's not playing. So it's, it feels like if teams are probably calling and just saying, well, we know he's not going to play for you. We're not giving you a first-round pick. But even if it's a second-round pick, don't you think that's still worth yeah. it? Yes. The guy's contract is up after next season. His cap hit next year is $14.7 million. I just don't, it makes no sense. In a, a
1: league me. where Laramie Larry Tunsil, in a fairly similar situation, obviously the ages are different, but as far and as... a contract. I, no, no, but I'm saying as far, Laramie Tunsil is getting expensive next year is what I'm saying.
0: Yes. yes, So So
1: it's not even, it's not apples to apples, but it's not like Laramie Tunsil is a rookie here. It's not like he's making Fitzpatrick and you're just going to get him for three more years on a cheap deal. So in a league where he's worth two first-round picks, you should be holding an auction for Trent Williams. But that's... that's I agree. That's neither here nor there. The bigger it, it is a symptom of something bigger, which is there's a real problem in Washington. I don't know how you fix it. Do you keep Bruce Allen around? Do you do sort of what had already been done with Scott McLuhan, which is you. you Bruce kick, Allen you never kick, should
0: have been there to begin with. He, they shouldn't have gone back to him.
1: You kick Bruce Allen to sort of, OK, you're overlooking the stadium and, and some business stuff or whatever. And, and kind of, you know, shaking hands of, of team partners or whatever. Uh, Great. And, and then, yeah, that, that, that's where Bruce Allen maybe should be. And then you get a GM. Maybe they shouldn't have fired Scott McLuhan, okay? Maybe they should get a football guy in there. But again, these things have been tried. One of the things about the, the Redskins is that everything has been tried just really quickly for like a
0: two-year period, and then they abandoned it. Again, with, when the same guy's in charge of everything, the same things tend to happen. Among these other 0-3 teams, who worries you the most? Whom do you have the least amount of faith? So, I, I I don't want to,
1: I don't, th- there's there's a couple of them. We talked about them. You know, 0-3 is, is there are different sort of stories here, right? The Bengals sure. are 0-3, but the Bengals have been competitive. The Bengals probably should have won last week against a team that we'll get to in a second. I mean, just in the sense that they had a real shot to do it. Uh, they, they were winning they in got, the fourth quarter. With they like got, two they left got Josh Allen little 78-yard drive <laughs> from the Miracle Man, Josh Allen. And I think the Broncos, I don't know what the Broncos do exactly. Unless you think that Drew Locke has the capability to, to single-handedly turn it around at some point, I'm not totally sure the Broncos
0: have much of a path going forward. I haven't re-watched any Broncos games so far this year. You are year. lucky, lucky, focusing lucky man. I've been focusing on the teams that. are And well, actually by the okay. way, we're not
1: mentioning the Jets because we have we have to just like we have to devote an entire chunk here to the Jets. But we'll, let's talk about the Broncos. Real
0: quick. Oh, we're going to get to the Jets in a minute. They're in an entirely different kind of category here. So with the Broncos, the problem for the Broncos is they do nothing well. The Broncos have zero sacks in three games. That's correct. How is that even possible? That's correct. I mean, that's what this team was supposed to do. If your defense is not going to be good, what are you supposed to be as a team? It's just such a problem because their offense is going to be bad. Flacco has been awful the same way we all thought he was going to be. Flacco is not a plan. As I said, coming into the season If Joe Joe Flacco is the answer. You're asking the wrong questions. So they have no path to relevance on offense because who knows what Drew Locke even is. And if that's the case, you need your defense to carry you. And the defense is just not able to do that right now. This team is going to be very, very bad. Poor Von Miller. I mean, I, I thought that Fangio would do well. I so thought he I. would come in, and they, I, I figured the defense would just hit the ground running. I was wrong. I mean, that's all there is to it, really. It's been awful. And again, if their def- if their offense is going to keep playing like this, I mean, this is the path to like a disaster, four and twelve type year.
1: Yeah, and th- and what what? Just let's get bigger picture here. What happens to John Elway if that happens? It's kind
0: of a weird thing, right? Because wouldn't it be strange for the Broncos to fire John Elway? Well, I mean, I think you could do. You could you could make him Denver's Bruce Allen. And That's kind of what just, you'd have to you know, do, right? Kick
1: him upstairs. But the problem is the the one pattern that has emerged over years and years is that John Elway is so competitive, whether it's, you know, in very specific contract negotiations or, you know, whatever it is, he probably wouldn't want to take that role. So there might be, you know, there's obviously an ownership. Uh, flux there, whatever you want to call that. So I I don't know. If it's there's still like, the there's same like family. Power though, vacuum. And
0: still, yeah. No. 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 But we don't. That family still has a history with John I, Elway. No. 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 So. I understand
1: that. But what I'm saying, as far as like b- making big decisions, is hard to do right sure. now. Um, yes. So I he they might just ride it out with them.
0: So let's get to one more the team be, before we
1: get. To- d- just to be clear on John Elway, the best thing he ever did was identify Peyton Manning as a good quarterback. <laughs>
0: They made some good free agencies. No, of course. And and and, and, and obviously really
1: Von Miller's drafting and all that stuff. They listen. If Von
0: Miller was a second overall pick. No, it doesn't I understand take a lot to we, into listen, Miller. Listen, There have been
1: a lot of bad second overall picks. That's fair. Right. Anyway, the point is, uh I'm um, Gianna was on my watch list. I'm watching
0: him. <laughs> good, good job, buddy. You're really, really quick on the uptake here. Yeah. All right. I, before we get to the Jets, I want to talk about the Steelers briefly. The Steelers were in this game against San Francisco last week, so I think that the final score kind of hides how bad they actually were. Mm -hmm. The the 49ers turned the ball over five times and won. (laughs) The Steelers' defense is still bad. They still have no idea what they're doing. The amount of times where they're lining up a linebacker on a slot receiver, whether that slot receiver is George Kittle or whoever, it doesn't matter. It's not the right matchup, and teams are smoking them with it. And Mason Rudolph was bad. Outside of three completions, they did absolutely nothing. I know those three completions count, but you kind of want a little bit more consistency with your passing game. And there was really nothing going outside of the one long completion of Juju and then the touchdown to Deontay Thompson. I mean, they had nothing going down the field whatsoever. Mason Rudolph's average completion in that game traveled 2.3 yards in the air. <laughs> Is that bad? That's not Uh, good.
1: mm.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: It's um. I've been thinking about it more and more, and I was—we both were kind of stunned at the Minka Fitzpatrick trade when it happened. And I still stand by my original take, which is they're just not bad enough for that pick to be third, fifth, seventh overall, whatever it is. It'll probably be in the twelve to fifteen range. Maybe, but I'm just saying. That's a disaster. I think they should have just when Roethlisberger goes down, I think you just stand pat and say, We'll take the first round pick, we'll rebuild. I don't know. Kevin Colbert's going year to year on his contract now, um, which is something he asked for. I was at a press conference a couple of weeks ago where he talked about that. Um, I just don't know I just don't know what the plan is going forward. I, I'm I am going to default to trusting the Steelers in this regard because they have, you know, look, they've been competing basically every year for for most of our adult lives. Um, since we were the, the Steelers have not actually been all that bad since you and I started watching football. Right?
0: There was no, that weird sort of been.
1: transition before the Tommy Maddox year, and then obviously Roethlisberger starts, and they start competing. But they have They've found done a, an unbelievable job been, of finding new versions of themselves. If the
0: Patriots it's been did, incredible, if
1: the Patriots didn't exist, the Steelers would be held up as maybe one of one of the most well run franchises in football. Um and and I mean the, Patriots, the second
0: best run franchise, in the but AFC. the Patriots yeah. not
1: existing uh, means that they have a lot less Super Bowl appearances than they would over the past fifteen years. And that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that I default to the Steelers, kind of knowing what they're doing because I've seen it before. Whereas not, I don't do that with John Elway. But right now, I'm having a real tough time
0: being being convinced of something. What do you think the Steelers' record would have to be for them to not pick in the top ten? 6 and 10. I think 6 and 10 probably gets you in the top 10, right? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, 7 and 9. 7 and so 9 gets you it, to in that go 12 seven to and 15
1: nine, range.
0: To go 7 and 9, they'd have to go 7 and 6 the rest of the way. They'd have to be an above 500 team.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Do you have faith in their ability to do that? I do not. Me neither. That's a good point. That's a good point I, by you, I just Robert. think it's a really tough road when you start 0 and 3. And that's why you shouldn't trade away first-round picks unless you're on the brink of winning Super Bowls. Right. It was a panic move. It was a panic right. move. So
1: wait the the Bills went six and ten last year and drafted ninth. 9th. So you probably have to go seven and nine. What did the What did the Bengals do? Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I'm. I don't know. I think I still think there's roster talent. I think they'll get a little bit better. But I'm I'm with you. It it doesn't it doesn't look good, folks. They're certainly not going to be good this year. The state of play is whether or not they're
0: going to be a disaster this year. So right below Mason Rudolph on the average air yards per completion chart here from last week is Mr. Luke Falk, who was as bad as an NFL quarterback can possibly be against the Patriots. Understood it's the Patriots. It's a given. But when you throw for 98 yards in an NFL game on 22 attempts, I don't care if it's the 85 Bears. In 2019, that is not what you want. Luckily, it sounds like Sam Darnold and his mono will be back after the bye. He's already doing cardio, which it's hilarious. That's the state of play for whether a quarterback can play based on mono. It's whether or not he can actually run on a treadmill. Do you have any faith that with Darnold, the Jets can possibly turn this around? Because right now, and when I say turn this around, I mean not go 4-12.
1: Brian Costello tweeted this. Jets offensive rankings. Total offense, 32nd. <laughs> run, 28th. A little improvement there. And that's Pass.
0: Not, not for lack of trying. Pass, they, they have run spent the ball a, a lot. lot of money.
1: They spent a lot of money on a running back. Pass, 32, scoring, 31. Adam Gase, what is it you say you do here? Because I, I got to tell you, even when Darnold played, I wasn't convinced Adam Gase had fixed Darnold. So now Darnold comes back, and this is a discussion we had a couple of weeks ago. Do this? Does the Jets ownership see this as a mulligan year for Adam Gase because Darnold is out with mono, or do they say, you know what? This he's is kind gonna of a he's going to miss one game. Yeah, I mean, two games.
0: He's going to miss two games.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I listen. I hope that's that's the hope, but you know, Manish Mehta, who sort of came out very strongly against Gase this week um, and has soured on him along the process, which a lot of Jets writers have. And the, one of the things is there the, are a lot of Jets fans are like, well, there's a disconnect between w- how the Gase hire was perceived eight months ago and how it's perceived now. I think one of the biggest things you have to remember is that Adam Gase pulled a power play here. Like, he took over the franchise yeah. in the interim. And so things... For like to, a week. For like a week. Well, right. But, I mean, so he's still... You know the, the. I think there is a connection there with Joe Douglas, and I understand it all. And there's an agent thing, um, you know, sort of up high. But what I'll say is that right now, Adam Case. T- I'm sorry, uh, Manish tweeted this. Adam Gase's last six games as coach, 0-6, outscored 170 to 74. Last win December 9th, week 14, which was the Miami Miracle. At some point, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm the if I'm the Jets. I'm, I'm thinking about it. If this if doesn't I'm get building, better, if they go to one and 15 and this doesn't get better and Sam Darnold is like crap, I'm thinking about it.
0: I'm thinking about it too. I, I feel like you have to think about it just based on how much money you spent and what your timeline is with a quarterback. That's going to be on the third year of his rookie deal next season. If I'm building the case for the jets getting better, here's where it starts. They played the Buffalo bills in week one who have an excellent, excellent defense. One of the best defenses in the league. In week two, they're starting their backup quarterback. He breaks his leg in, I think, the first quarter, correct? Mm -hmm. You bring in Luke Falk. You have to play Luke Falk for pretty much two games, and now you get your starting quarterback in the fold again. Maybe they'll be okay because even if Darnold didn't look good and even if the offense looked bad in week one, you're playing Buffalo, and a lot of offenses are going to look bad against Buffalo. So maybe there's a path back here, but I think the road is pretty difficult. Yeah,
1: it's it's pretty difficult because they don't have any roster talent.
0: Yeah, and, and that's a bad. problem when you've spent all like, your this money. This isn't. This isn't.
1: I, I know it's a little bit different, but like the Steelers do have some really good players on both sides of the ball. Whether that's Juju, whether that's Cam Hayward, you know, even T.J. Watt. Stafford II. It's playing Stephon awesome. It's yeah. playing well. I mean, it's not like they are the Dolphins here, right? The Jets, I just look around and I just don't see a lot of roster talent. I do. Th- I, Jamal, Jamal Adams is good. I, Jamal Adams is good. He's canceled his his weekly radio show, so that's that's out. Um, he, I think I still believe in the right system. Le'Veon Bell can be good. I still think that that the young players can be good. Your Quinn and Williams can be good. Um, but I'm uh, I'm not seeing it. You know, if I'm thinking, if I'm Joe Douglas here, he came from Philly before that. He was in Baltimore. Is there a guy, in your opinion, you'd like to see in New York? If this is if this is actually one and done,
0: it's hard to say at this point. We're gonna. So many coaches are. So many coaching candidates are gonna rise and yeah, fall. Over but I'm the next just saying, from months. those two, from there's, from
1: Philly in particular, is there like a? Would you love to see? I don't know. I mean, like, I, don't know. I it, it just seems like there's but Philly coming from Philly and Baltimore where Joe Douglas came from those are two of the most well-run franchises in the in the NFL and if if you borrowed a uh or stole a, a position coach or a coordinator from there I don't think it'd be a bad thing.
0: Yeah, there's no one on the Eagles staff that really jumps out to you, right? I mean Mike Rowe is just starting his tenure as their offensive coordinator. He, what about he old Jimmy Schwartz? Experience. Let's go. Like, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that'd be Let's something go. I'd do. I'd, I'd probably go with Wink Martindale before I'd go with Jimmy Schwartz again. I don't think they shy Jim Schwartz either. I just want to start that narrative. Before we move on, let's take a quick break. Support for today's show comes from Sonos. Every Sonos speaker is designed from the inside out for incredibly detailed sound and deep bass before they're fine-tuned by Oscar and Grammy-winning producers, mixers, and artists. Starting your system is easy. Just plug Sonos in and open the app for step-by-step instructions. In just a few minutes, you're playing music, TV, podcasts, and more. Sonos works with all of your streaming services and control is simple with the app, your voice, Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, Apple Airplay 2, and more. Even wirelessly connects speakers to create your perfect sound system. Guys, I am horrendous with technology. I don't know how anything works. It's so bad. But my Sonos was so easy to set up. I have the Beam soundbar. It's sitting right under my TV. I use it literally every day when I'm listening to podcasts, watching TV, whatever. The quality is amazing. It's all throughout my apartment. I could not recommend this stuff more. And have you heard? Sonos just came out with a new portable speaker. Enjoy brilliant sound anywhere with Sonos Move, the durable battery-powered smart speaker for indoor and outdoor listening. I cannot wait to use that thing. Check it out at Sonos.com. All right, a couple quick news bits here. Saquon Barkley, uh, Adam Schefter announced earlier this week, is going to be out probably up to eight weeks with a high ankle sprain. I feel like this is more relevant to my fantasy season than it is to the Giants' outlook this season. It sucks that we're not going to see Saquon Barkley with Daniel Jones because it makes them just infinitely less fun but I'm not sure it has a huge impact on the Giants' overall ceiling in, 20, in 2019. Yeah, I,
1: I'm, I'm with you. I don't think the Giants are ready to compete for a playoff spot. I mean, certainly that defense, and that secondary needs a lot of work. I wouldn't be, listen, get, having Saquon Barkley next to Daniel Jones in the backfield is a good thing. It's better to have him than not have him. I'm not, I don't think this is a disaster for the Giants for two reasons. Number one, you can just focus on sort of, Developing Daniel Jones, getting him the reps he needs to get, getting him the plays he needs to get, that that kind of thing. And second, if they lose a couple games, that's fine. Like get a higher draft pick, get a top ten pick, get some more help for for uh, the the greatest quarterback we've ever seen, and and just start building around him. That's fine. This season is a wash. This season is about developing a guy you think is a, is a uh, your guy at quarterback, franchise guy at quarterback, and you know setting up for the future. When you look at that defense you have to realize that this is not a competition year. So just, you know, write it off, move on.
0: Yeah, I think you could argue that his development would be helped by having Saquon Barkley just as an outlet no, in of the course, backfield of course, or whatever. Of course. But I, I don't think it's torpedoed by not having Saquon I agree. Barkley. I agree. So in a similar kind of vein, Melvin Gordon is back with the Chargers. He won't play this week, but he will be back long-term for this team. I don't know how much better the Chargers offense is with Melvin Gordon right? I think that their offensive line is still a problem. You know, Austin Eckler has been fine. Justin Jackson's actually been really nice as a rusher. He's been one of the most effective on a per carry basis in the entire league when he's gotten a chance. His DVOA is 49.5% right now, which among runners with at least uh, 25 carries, that would be second best in the league. Austin Eckler is also the most effective receiving back in the NFL right now. So they have just this kind of amalgam of a running back with the two guys they have currently. So even though I think Melvin Gordon is a really talented player, I, get, I feel like it's going to help more fantasy seasons than it is going to help, uh, you know, the Chargers on a football level. It's interesting to me because
1: I I don't know what happens to running backs and leverage now because I it's think tough. it's I been think, a rough couple I, weeks. I think Ezekiel Elliott. Is an outlier because number one, they andre- they obviously even though Melvin Gordon's first round pick, the Cowboys are just so different. They weren't they were never going to let Zeke walk. Jerry Jones likes paying people. Um, there's just sort of a it's just you just it's have to, branding. You have thing. to throw it out. You have to throw out the Cowboys thing. But if you're a running back, otherwise Le'Veon Bell give up a year of his career, and will never get that fifteen million dollars back that, when he didn't play on the franchise tag. That will never happen. Um, you know he would have gotten the same deal if he had played than if he hadn't played a wash and or not a wash he's down 15 million and you just start to think about someone like melvin gordon who tried to have leverage but the chargers just said no and i don't know what happens now but the real tragedy of first round picks is that even if melvin gordon balled out you can essentially have him under team control for eight years and obviously there's you know the franchise tag number for running backs isn't that high even if it keeps increasing if you tag them a second or third time you are stuck and it's really hard for a running back to be really good for six seven eight years that's impossible they know this teams know this and that is a real I mean it's it's a labor problem and I, I just don't know what you do if you're a running back this is a failed holdout from Melvin Gordon a guy that I personally had a, um, you know, aside from being a great player, uh, you know, he's just a he's a good dude. He's on slow news yeah. day, um, yeah, heck of a heck of a slow news day guest. He broke down the Porzingis trade, which happened while we were shooting. Um,
0: but I just don't know where you go from here if you're a, a good running back. It's tough because if you're the Chargers, why would you even think about giving the franchise tag to Melvin Gordon, which I assume is going to be north of you know ten million dollars now? Right. When Justin Jackson has a six point, he has six hundred sixty thousand dollar cap it next year. Right? There's just no upside to doing it. It sucks for these guys, and I feel bad for Melvin Gordon, but <laughs> the practicalities of it just don't make sense for these teams.
1: They make no sense. They make no sense. And you know, I think that it's it's really interesting to me. The teams are still drafting in the first round, and I just you know I don't know. So he, in 2019, uh, he's making four point six in cash, and then he becomes an unrestricted free agent after the season and I don't
0: know I don't know what you do with that I'll I'll, I will say I think the one guy who could possibly reset this a little bit is the dude in New Orleans did you see him play last week I did well okay wait 17 tackles so this is
1: this is one of the things I've talked to a lot of people about in the NFL which is that that wave Kamara Saquon McCaffrey even though McCaffrey and Kamara older than Saquon obviously it'll be interesting to see how they're viewed but again Le'Veon Bell was viewed differently. Le'Veon Bell it's, was basically it's different, like your I wrote about this.
0: I wrote about this, though. It's much different. the The yards per target, the way Le'Veon Bell was used as a receiver, he wasn't really used as a receiver. He was used as a running back lining up at receiver. Yeah, I feel like the way that the Saints use Kamara at certain points, the way that the Panthers have used McCaffrey, even the way that David Johnson has been used at points this season and in the past. That, to me, provides a much better blueprint for why these guys are valuable than what Le'Veon Bell's receiving targets did.
1: Plus, I mean, when the Panthers get to re-sign Christian McCaffrey, when Marty Herney gets to put that pen to paper, man, he's going (laughs) to love that. He's going to love overpaying Christian McCaffrey.
0: That'll reset the market. I'm not sure Martin or Marty Herney will be making that decision for the Panthers. That's just me, though. Which brings us to our first take shop of the week. Yeah. I wrote about this today. I think that if Cam Newton is even a little bit banged up, it it was reported earlier this week, Joe Person of The Athletic reported that Cam Newton has a Liz Frank injury. Liz Frank injuries typically require surgery. Yep. And they typically put you out for the season. And not like two weeks off. Yes, it'll be three weeks. It'll be a month off because they have three games and then the bye. And I think that's probably what they were aiming for is him coming back in week six. That's still, it's not enough time to properly heal that injury. He's probably going to be banged up. I kind of think that the Panthers are better off and the Panthers can compete with Kyle Allen instead of an injured Cam Newton. Uh, I think they're better.
1: No argument here. I don't think they're, I don't know. Listen, it all comes down to, and this is something I said on Sunday, how, how good is Cam Newton right now? Because, you know, 70% of Cam Newton is better than Kyle Allen. I don't think he's— I don't
0: a- know if that's true, though. I don't think he's close to 70% right now. Even if he is 70%, though, I think the reason that you could make the argument for Kyle Allen is that the Panthers have been so apprehensive about running Cam Newton. And if he's not going to be a runner, if he's going to give you no value in that area, how much better of a passer is he right now than Kyle Allen? I think the difference is marginal because Kyle Allen looks like a pretty talented guy. I know he was undrafted, but this was a guy who was the number one recruit in high school. He had a really weird college career. He had one terrible game against Alabama where he threw a bunch of picks. He got benched for Kyler Murray, who ends up becoming the number one pick in the draft. He ends up transferring to Houston. He has a weird career in Houston where they're shifting head coaches and the offense changes. It's just bizarre. Circumstances have not been kind to him but the guy's clearly talented. And if he's going to throw the ball like he did against Arizona last week, I'm not sure how much worse he is than even a a 85% Cam Newton purely as a thrower. This offense without Cam running is not set up to play to Cam's strengths. He's not that much different than most quarterbacks if he's not going to have value as a runner. No, uh, uh, that's
1: the point. 70% of Cam Newton is a running Cam Newton. If he can just run a little bit, that just changes everything. I think and and this is something I've consistently said when Cam Newton is at his best, he is one of the best quarterbacks in football. There's a reason Absolutely. There's a reason he took over the league three years ago. There's a reason that he put up numbers we'd never seen as a rookie and kind of kept that pace for a while. So I don't think there's an op I don't I don't think Kyle Allen has any chance at his best to be as good as you know, as, as a healthy Cam Newton, I just think, th- I just think from that from what I've seen,
0: it's just not happening for him this year, man. It is just not happening for him. And, and if you're Cam, isn't it in your best interest to not play hurt? Considering if you, I don't, if he doesn't play again for the rest of the season, I don't think he's on the Panthers next year.
1: Uh, wait, I'm sorry. Repeat that. So if you, you think that if he doesn't play hurt, he, he, he moves
0: on. I think most, I feel like there's a real chance he's not in the Panthers next year. Okay. So if you're auditioning for your next job, why would you want to do it while hurt?
1: Oh, I get that. I get that. Yeah. No, I, I also think that we live in a post Andrew Luck world Yep. where you see what happens when you try and fail to come back from these sort of injuries. I mean, listen, the other part of it is that guys like playing football. I mean, this is something Rosillo and I talked about this a couple months ago. But we always sit around and um, we always sit around and say, "Oh, this person should this. This person this." What if Cam Newton just really wants to play football because he likes it? Sure, Do you know what I'm saying. There's part of that. That's part of the listen. The playing hurt thing is really, really important because I think a lot of coaches probably force guys to play, and you know, if you're at the bottom of the roster, it's really important. But a lot of the times guys who quote unquote play hurt, it's because they want to. And it's really, (laughs) really strange. We can't put ourselves in that mindset. Um, you know, there's a ton of guys who hide in- I've talked to guys, they hide injuries because they don't want the team to know. I mean, it is a crazy, crazy thing. I'm not saying anything about Cam Newton, except to say that it's possible that we're sitting here saying maybe he should shut it down, whatever. He might just want to play football, even if he's 60% of what he is. That, that's in a weird way. That's actually what happened to Andrew Luck is he just really wanted to be out there even
0: with the freaking lacerated kidney. But Andrew Luck didn't have much to consider in terms of needing a new contract, stuff like that. I think there's probably someone in Cam's ear that's trying to tell him this is about more than the 2019 season, and he has to understand that. And it's about way more than the 2019 season if this Kyle Allen thing goes poorly and they have nothing to play for. Yeah, I don't know what they do.
1: I mean, it's so murky because it just comes down to what, what what, what Cam can look like. Because I don't know. I think you just... There's no way for us to know how hurt he is, and so it's hard to project what November
0: looks like for them. Yeah, it's impossible. That's why I laid out five possible scenarios today because I don't think it's responsible to try to figure out one because there's absolutely no way to know. And I just want to be very clear about something. When I say that Cam as a passer and Kyle Allen as a passer, the difference is marginal. I mean this version of Cam, and I also mean that without being able to run, he's no longer Cam Newton. At his best, he's a really good thrower, but he's not the player we've come to know if he's just a thrower. I think that's important to distinguish. I don't want to say that Cam Newton is not a pocket passer like others have in the past, because that's nonsense. Right. Before we move on, let's take another quick break. The best part about kicking back to watch the game is enjoying a spread of your favorite treats. Take your game day treats to the next level with the new M&M's Hazelnut Chocolate Spread Candies. Guaranteed to deliver a delicious combo of hazelnut spread and milk chocolate in every bite-sized piece. M&M's hazelnut spread is going where no hazelnut spread has gone before, right inside M&M's chocolate candies. If you love M&M's chocolate candies and you love hazelnut spread, just wait until you try these together for the first time. They've added delicious hazelnut spread to the center of smooth M&M's, milk chocolate, and crunchy candy shell. Enjoy them on their own or use them to dress up your favorite treats. Just imagine them baked into cookies or sprinkled on top of your favorite go-to ice cream flavor. I recently snuck some of these into the movies and mixed it in with my popcorn. I could not recommend that more. I love hazelnut. I love chocolate. The fact that it's in M&M's now is just more than I could have ever hoped for. Go hazelnutty and try the new M&M's hazelnut spread chocolate candies today. Did you know that socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters? Bombas is on a mission to change that. They created the most comfortable socks in the history of feet, and for every pair of socks purchased, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. In fact, Bombas has donated over 20 million pairs and counting. Designed with special comfort innovations, colors, patterns, lengths, and styles, Bombas are perfect for the whole family. They're made from super soft, natural cotton, and every pair is designed with arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed that's supportive but not too thick. Their new merino wool socks are designed to be breathable, dry, and never itchy with just the right amount of thickness. Get your hands on a pair of Bombas socks and your feet will thank you. Save 20% on your first purchase when you shop at Bombas.com slash Ringer NFL. That's Bombas.com slash Ringer NFL to save 20%. Bombas.com slash Ringer NFL. All right, let's get to yours. Well, we're going to get
1: to this twice, and it's important that we spend a lot of time on it because I'm really excited about this game. Josh Allen is good enough for the Bills to make the playoffs, and we're about to see how good that is when he plays Bill Belichick. I don't think that they're contenders for the AFC East here, but Josh Allen is fine, and that's a good thing. When I set my expectations this week, excuse me, for this year for the Bills, I said... That basically that team around Josh Allen is really good and it comes down to Josh Allen and whether or not he's an absolute disaster. He's been fine. Completion percentage over 60% in each of his three games, which which is a which <laughs> like, is, I is love a that real, that's the bar. Well, no, I mean, really, we all dunked on his accuracy. And listen, he still throws some crazy throws. Let's not get let's let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. He, yes. he has so not he has over, overnight become Patrick Mahomes here. But I think when you combine that defense, when you combine just a basic competence, he still has you know, as many interceptions as, as touchdowns here. But he's fine, and that's okay. There was an amazing stat. Do you know who, whole, who has won the most games in Buffalo since 2001, Robert Mays? Which quarterback? Is it really Josh Allen? It's, no, 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 it's Tom Brady. Oh, well,
0: yes, I, did, I knew that. Tom I Brady like, I can't, It can't 15, be Josh
1: Allen. Tom Brady has 15 wins. Drew Bledsoe has 14 Tyrod Taylor has 14. It's not Josh Allen. But How what I'm Josh saying Allen is have? is that uh I I don't know, 6 or 7, I don't know.
0: How many did they win last year? Uh Oh, you mean in the city of Buffalo? In the city of Buffalo. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but anyway, that makes
1: sense. The the point being the point being that you know, there isn't a high bar to clear to be a competent quarterback in Buffalo and I think Josh Allen has cleared it and I think that they have with their piece, and we're going to get into this game in a second, I think that there's 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 two things to consider here. Josh Allen is good. Daniel Jones might be good. And now we all have to delete our Twitter accounts.
0: So let's get to
1: the patriots but good good, because, being, good being relative here. He's still not a top-10 quarterback. Uh, he's he, not anything close to not, a top-10 quarterback. If you redraft, he's probably... I I don't want to even project it, but he's not a top-10 quarterback. But he is, he is basically a better version of what Blake Bortles was in Jacksonville a couple of years ago. And the one issue I see is that that defense, even though it's really good, is not as good as that Jacksonville defense. So they're not going to be that type of contenders this year in 2019.
0: So let's talk about kind of the Bills ceiling and as it relates to them playing the Patriots this week. I agree with you to a certain degree. I feel like the version of this offense with Josh Allen playing the way he is right now, Is fun, has some capabilities for some big plays, and coupled with a defense that I think will probably finish in the top five by DVOA, maybe in the top three. They're that good. There is a 10-6 and path to the playoffs. The problem is they're not going to have the same turnover potential as a team like the 2018 Bears or the 2017 Jaguars because the pass rush just isn't that dominant. That's usually how you create tons and tons of turnovers. That you have a lot of fumbles. Yep. The quarterback's getting hit as he throws. Everything else. They don't have that type of defense. It's more just really sound. A ton of secondary talent. Everything else. Jerry Hughes is good. You know, maybe at some point we're going to see a really fun. Uh, Jesus, what's his name? At Oliver. Yep. But they just—they don't have that guy. They—they they really don't. So I think that their ceiling is much lower, and in that case, the offense has to be better. I went back and watched the Bengals game today. Josh Allen is good for one or two holy shit throws a game. He had that one running to the right where it was just a bullet down the sideline on the move that was perfectly placed and it's like, oh my God. like <laughs> That is an Aaron Rodgers from 2014-esque throw or a Mahomes from right now type of throw. It was amazing. But he also has five or six plays where you're like, what the hell is he possibly doing? Either throwing it 10 feet over a guy's head. I mean, he missed John Brown wide open for a touchdown down the field, or bailing back 15 yards deep in the pocket and getting an intentional grounding and throwing a horrendous interception with the game still in the balance. He also got lucky to throw out th- not throw another interception on a deep pass. William Jackson made an amazing play, but Josh Allen is not a good quarterback yet. Is he good enough? For a couple scattered plays a game combined with that defense, for this team to be relevant in the playoff race, I think the answer to that is yes. But I also think the same way Blake Bortles, the same way Mitch Trubisky, were quarterbacks that would probably end up sabotaging your playoff hopes <laughs> if you get there. Josh Allen is most likely still in that category. Fifteen games into his NFL career, right? However so many I,
1: I agree with everything you're saying, and. I think the, the, the Bills have done a really good job maximizing what's around him right now, whether that's the free agency or the draft. The defense. We'll I love how that. they built this team. Agree. We'll get to the defense uh, when we start previewing the game in a second. But I think that at this point, he's the best Josh Allen he could be. I think that we both thought there was a real chance that it was going to be just an absolute disaster. I mean, like yeah. like worst quarterback in the league kind of thing. Okay, I really did think that was the chance that two years ago when they drafted him.
0: It's not close to that. There's a
1: basic competence there that I have been pleasantly surprised by that I think gives the Bills a chance to compete for a playoff spot.
0: Yeah, I've been surprised by him. And I also just think he's fun to watch. He's a really entertaining player because there's a lot of stuff he can do where it really does kind of make you sit up in your chair. But there are other things that make you just want to put your head in your hands. So it's an up and down experience right now, but it's a roller coaster that I find is worth riding pretty much all of the time. This is a team I'm going to have, an, I'm going to enjoy watching this season because of what he can do on scattered plays and because of what the defense is. Let's talk about kind of how they've built both the offense and the defense a little bit and how they could possibly compete with the Patriots as a result. Even it's this Sunday or you know throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, previewing that game now. Here we go. Yes. So I. I love what they've done on the offensive line. And yeah. I think that it's going to be Mitch a huge Morris. thing. Yep. Yeah, the Mitch Moore signing, just kind of throwing a bunch of outside of Morse low-end resources at the problem. It's not a great unit right now, but it's a really it's a competent unit. And I think that's a big thing. I think they're fifth in rushing DVOA so far. They have a really well-designed run game. They have a ton of misdirection plays. They have little pitches. Uh back to that uh, little speedy wide receiver they have whose name I cannot remember, number 19, McKenzie. Yep. They do a lot of stuff like that where they're getting cheap yards. It's an offense that knows what it has to be. And they face a huge test this weekend. I think they're going to struggle against a Patriots defense that's been incredible so far. But I do think the construction of this offense is smarter than I thought it had to be coming into the year. Micah Hyde is good.
1: Jerry He's Hughes, awesome.
0: Tradavius White,
1: who we've obviously... He's been good since he came into the league. Lorenzo Alexander still giving, still kind of giving them something, even as it is advanced age. I remember, remember he was leading the NFL in sacks for like a long time three years ago under Rex Ryan. Everybody's like oh, Lorenzo can't last. He's still a decent player, and I've been surprised by that. Um, Gives them something is
0: the correct way to frame that. I think that's exactly right.
1: Yeah, I mean he's not he gives them something. He's not Von Miller, but like he's he's a competent player. There's competence all around Buffalo and that you can't really say that A for the teams in Buffalo in the past and B you you know around the league there's a lot of incompetence. So again, I've been impressed by the way they've built this team. I don't think that they're going to beat the Patriots this weekend. Um I think it's going to be a little closer than we think. Um but I just think that they are, you know, a couple of notches below uh, a really, really good New England team. Now, uh, I, there was an oral history I saw today of that 2011 game. Remember that one? In Buffalo? Which game was that? The the It was a game where Buffalo won. Fred Jackson was went off, I believe. Oh,
0: okay. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um,
1: listen, one of the things that we forget about Buffalo is, and maybe we shouldn't, but how wild that stadium can get and when, you know, there, whether or not you want to believe in home field advantage in 2019 is sort of immaterial to this. I I, I still think that it's it can be important, even though um, statistically sometimes it, it doesn't bear out. But I think a roaring Buffalo crowd with a team they really like. I mean, Buffalo fans are in on this team, man. If they get on the Patriots
0: early, this could be one of the most fun games of the season. Yeah. I completely agree. Are you worried at all about how the Patriots' offensive line, while banged up both now and in the future, is going to hold up against a defense like the Bills? Um,
1: Well, first of all, I I am completely confident in Dante Skronekia, maybe more than anybody in the league, except for Bill Belichick, and they happen to be on the same sideline. So I'm okay with that. I'm all set there. Uh, yeah, I think there's, there's going to be some concern if Brady has a face, uh, has a hand in his face the entire game, that could, that could be a problem. But I just, man, I just think that the, I think the Patriots are really freaking good. I think they're a 14 and two, 15 and one type team. And I think that there's, there's not a lot they can do. I think the defense will have a really good game plan against, um, again, then that secondary will, will be able to do to. Josh Allen, what other teams had not. I mean, he had, I think he had two interceptions in the first week of the season, but I think Josh Allen actually might have a bad game on Sunday because of what the Patriots secondary looks like, plus, you know, just the general just defense, Just period. their
0: general game plan. Is this the best Patriots defense since, like, 2001, or is this the best Patriots defense of the Bill Belichick era? I think it might be.
1: I don't know. I'd have to go look back. I mean, obviously, man, some of those early teams were unbelievably good on defense. Remember... I remember uh, looking back at the archive when they won their first Super Bowl and there were so many, it was so funny to read. I think Bob Ryan had a column where Tom Brady was like, he paper cuts you to death. He's a game manager. Like, remember, those early teams won a lot of games based on defense. So I still think that the sort of Teddy Bruschi glory years are the gold standard.
0: But from what we're seeing right now, this is a damn good defense. The 2003 Patriots finished second in defensive DVOA. Other than that, they've never finished in the top five in, under under Belichick. Or those early those early teams at least did not. Right. They never did. I this team is number one in rushing and number one in pass defense. It's early, but I honestly think that this might be the best defense they've ever had under Belichick. I agree. So it's only Jamie, been three weeks. Jamie Collins, next guy on the reclamation <laughs> conveyor oh, belt. Could you imagine being a Browns fan and just being like, really? Speaking of, let's get to the Browns yeah. against the Ravens. How worried are we about the Browns?
1: Jeez. Um, I, I am of two minds here because I predicted that this was going to happen, but I'm also slightly panicked. Does that make sense? Like, I just was like, oh, they're going to start slow because they have new faces, new head coach, all this stuff, but then they'll be fine. And now we're here, and it's exactly what I thought it was going to look like, and I'm, I'm worried
0: that we're, everything's not going to be fine. I'm genuinely concerned about what the offense looks like. Yes. I went back to watch the Browns game against or the Rams game again today of all 22 just to see what's possibly going on. And I think it's a lot of different problems. I feel like the play calling is stagnant. I think that they're really boring in terms of formational stuff, motions, everything else. They're putting a lot of pressure on the receivers just to get open. It also is one of those things where it's there's a lot of deep, slow developing routes. I think that's part of why Baker's holding onto the ball. But I also think he's not letting the ball go when guys are actually open. I think he wants everything all the time. He has a passer rating of 48 on plays where he holds the ball for at least two
1: and a half seconds on on Sunday. He had a pass rating of 0.0 when he was outside the tackle box.
0: It's really bad, and they just have not found any sort of rhythm, and I think they're going to continue to struggle against Baltimore because one of the things that defenses have been doing is they've been doing a lot of late adjusting. The Mm -hmm. Rams didn't as much, but the first couple weeks, that's what teams are doing against them, and there are few defensive coordinators in the NFL that do a better job at giving quarterbacks problems than Wake Martindale. And I think the same thing is going to happen for Baker on Sunday. I mean, it just... I can't see a route to where this gets better because their schedule is absolutely brutal. And it just seems like they have no answers right now.
1: Listen, they still have a lot of roster talent. So if I were to guess... I think there'll be more fine than not fine if he ran the Doctor Strange 14 million simulation thing here. I think that there's, there's a lot more scenarios in which they, they turn this around and win 10 games. But yeah, man, right now, this is, this is not a good football team. This is not a good football team. They've got the Ravens, the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Patriots. Uh-oh.
0: Yeah. Uh-oh. It's It's, it's bad. I, I have a ton of faith in their roster talent. I just have very little faith in their plan offensively. Defensively, I think they'll be okay. And I honestly think they'll be okay on Sunday. You know, we saw what happened. Obviously, the Ravens were not nearly as good on offense against the Chiefs last week as they were in the first two games of the season. I think the Chiefs are really comfortable playing a lot of two deep safeties, which against the Ravens is not. It's kind of counterintuitive. And that's why they've been able to push the ball down the field so much is that teams are so worried about what they're going to do running the ball. And I think the smart defensive coordinators are going to understand let's make them run the ball. Let's make them line up and get six yards a pop rather than Marquise Brown beating us for 60-yard touchdowns. And I think that's a game plan that other coordinators will follow. They're going to flood the defensive backfield and make Lamar Jackson pick them apart with precision throws in their intermediate areas of the field. And I, we'll see if he can do that over the long run. I have faith that it can happen, but I do think it's a solid br- a blueprint against this team. Yep, I agree. Uh, Cowboys, Saints real quick. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think that Teddy Bridgewater was much worse than the box score indicates last week. Yeah I, mean, yeah, I mean, he threw for 177 yards. That's a problem in and of itself. But we talked about how Mason Rudolph's average completion was 2.3 yards down the field. Teddy Bridgewater's was 1.8. Yeah. All they did was throw the ball in the flat to Alvin Kamara. And I, I think that's a hey, good That's not a plan, bad strategy. But I think that's a good plan. But I also don't think it's sustainable over the hey. long
1: run. How much does Sean Payton's five-year contract just kill the constant Payton to Dallas rumors? I know the I'm contract miss extension those. is stuff
0: for that. I'm going to miss really those. Fun. Well, why does it, we're probably kind of off that if the Cowboys keep playing like this, man? Jason Garrett five-year extension. I mean, they have been fantastic. I think a little slow going in the in the early parts of that game against Miami, but I have no complaints about what this offense has looked like. Somebody recently put out this week that. Uh, they're the, on second and long, they're running the ball the third least in the league, which is just like, what is happening? What are the Dallas Cowboys right now? This is crazy. I'm loving it. I just think that Dak has been phenomenal. I think the Saints defense has been bad so far this year. I mean, they've been one of the worst defenses in the league. I feel like even in New Orleans, this could be a boat race from the Cowboys. Mm, I think the Cowboys win close. I think they win, and I, I think that there are more scenarios where they win big than the Saints win at all. Mm. All right. All right. Let's get to sneaky truth and, and uh, me geeking out. I just want to talk about the Lions offense very briefly here. They frustrate me in a lot of ways in, in the same kind of manner I thought they would. Carryon Johnson is running into heavy boxes on 46% of his runs, which is the second highest percentage in the league. So stop doing that. <laughs> let's let's get let's get the first down heavy personnel runs out of here, but I also think that their passing offense has been shockingly fun. At Matthew Stafford is averaging 11.4 yards uh, air yards per attempt, which is the third highest in the league. It's completely different than anything we've seen from him before. And I think this version of their offense, is allowing us to see kind of the best version of him. He can use his arm, that he can push the ball down the field. Play action's been a huge part of that. They're using a ton more now than they ever have since he's been there, and I really like that. But there are also a lot of play designs that encourage him to push the ball. There was one against the Chargers where it was a third and four, and they, ran a qu- they motioned C.J. Anderson in the backfield to define that it was zone, and they ran this cool little corner route to Marvin Jones for a 24-yard gain on third and four. They're just encouraging him through design to be more aggressive, and with that arm, it's something that I've really enjoyed seeing. They're fifth in passing DVOA. I've just never seen this version of them before. I was going to do the Lions' defense, but I want to broaden it a bit because I was thinking about it this
1: morning. The NFC North is the division we thought the AFC North was going to be.
0: Just in terms of team strength? Just in terms
1: of team strength, just in terms of having three legitimate playoff contenders, I mean, maybe four. I actually, literally, I did not mean. I, I did, I did not mean to joke with you. I just left the Bears off, and I. Did, but the, I guess the answer is there's four, right?
0: I don't blame you. I mean, the, no, no. no I'm mean, like f- that was
1: not. I was not. It was not a bit. I just when I was thinking of the three teams, it was the Lions, Packers, and Vikings. I don't blame. And I you. will throw the. I, I will throw the Bears into that. Um,
0: right now, the worst defense in the NFC North by DVOA is the Vikings.
1: Yeah, exactly. The other three are in the top ten, and, and, and two of them are in the top five. I know we like to make fun of Matt Patricia. And all that stuff, but there have been real improvements on defense. Last year, the football outsiders put an article out today. Uh, last year, the Lions secondary was the second worst pass defense DVOA in the NFL, uh, fourth lowest rate of interceptions per drive. And really, I mean, they they've they've really done a good job of patching a defense together, whether that's Justin Coleman, Rashawn Melvin, obviously Darius Slay um has, has been good for years, but that's that's not new. Um, and so I think that there's there's real improvement there, and if Detroit is the worst team in your division, that's a pretty good division, because I really do think that, that Detroit has a, a real capability to be a 10-win team if everything breaks right. I believe in Matthew Stafford. I've always believed in Matthew Stafford. I wrote 5,000 words on Matthew Stafford three weeks ago, um, but I think that there's, I think there's a real strength there, and I think that when you get in those divisions, those types of four wide divisions, I think it really comes down to a lot of luck late in the season and and just injury luck health luck if everyone's got eight wins going into december i think that there's um you know it it gets unless there's a 15 to 1 team which i don't see among that group um it it gets to be all about health some bounces who has home field that kind of thing i'm excited about the nfc north i'm not excited about the afc north get the afc
0: north out of here i think you can make a real case that the bears are the worst team in that division and i'm not saying that as I'm not trying to be you know this anti Homer where it's a reverse jinx. I, I think that the Bears are, could be fine. The defense looks awesome; I mean, they're fantastic again on Monday night. But I think you can make that case uh, because I mean maybe the Vikings, if you want to go that route, just because Cousins has been so bad. But all of these teams look at least competent. I think it's driven by their defense, which takes us to the Thursday night football game tonight. The Packers have been phenomenal. Defensively, I cannot wait to watch them every week and having this defense of a national showcase is really fun. You wrote about that this week. It's just such a bizarre experience to see an infrastructure and supporting cast at every level of this team where Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to be great. Yep. Yep. It's amazing. It's amazing to see. You know, one of the
1: points I made is that, you know, the Patriots have Tom Brady. But they don't make Tom Brady play like an MVP every single game in order to win. They, they have an infrastructure where that doesn't have to happen. The Packers have done the inverse and said, OK, Aaron Rodgers, you're going to lead us in every game. That's because they've struggled on defense, obviously. Um, you know, there are some years they just don't have the receivers for them. Whatever it is, they have gone all in on an MVP quarterback by saying you have to be the MVP all the time. Now it's the opposite, and it's awesome, and I'm I'm happy to see it. Happy to see Aaron Rodgers um, in an infrastructure. I think it's going to be a football tragedy that that kind of thing never really lined up effectively in the sense that he his peak as a player didn't line up with the supporting cast for as many years as it should have. But we're getting a little bit now. He's not what he once was, but they can still. I mean, they can compete if he comes around for anything at all. If he's if he's 85 of Aaron Rodgers, they can win. They can win the NFC.
0: Yeah, especially with the defense playing this well. I, it's amazing how great the free agent signings have been for them so far. I mean, both of the Smiths have been awesome. And Kenny Clark is a star. That dude is amazing. I mean, he is a game changer. in the middle. I, and right now. Jair Alexander has been great. Amos has been solid. The fact that Savage has been able to hit the ground running on the back end. Blake Martinez has vastly improved. I mean, just every single part of that defense has guys that can really Make game-changing plays for you, and I think it makes them really, really scary. Are you worried about the Eagles if they lose this game in Lambeau? They're one and three, yeah. and potentially in a division with a Dallas team that could be four and zero at the end of the weekend.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm worried. I mean, one and three is always at some point, and This is the, tr- the, the the case with the Browns as well with those next four really hard games. At some point, it becomes nearly statistically impossible for you to come back from. You know whether that's zero and four in Cleveland's case. If you get to be one and three, two things happen. Number one, in a in a really competitive NFC, you just start to get you know you start to lose ground in the playoff race. But that's that's a little bit separate. Um, but especially with the Cowboys in that division, who who might be running it up to to four wins this week. And then by the way, at some point you just are a one and three team. So I, I those two things really really worry me. I, I think that you know, they do, again, the injuries, they do not have the depth we thought they were going to have. They do not have the stacked roster we thought they were going to have because of injuries, because of whatever. So, yes, I'm worried about the Eagles, but I definitely think they could win
0: this game. Darby's going to be out. I think that their secondary has been worrisome over the first three weeks. I think that's been the weakest part of their team, most likely. And I think that they've really suffered without Deshaun Jackson. He changes the complexion of the offense. We saw that in week one. We saw how they've missed him in the last two weeks. And against this defense, I think that's really going to hurt them. So some of minor are going forward, but this is a team we both thought would go to the Super Bowl, and they have not been what we expected for the first three weeks of the year. And I think it's going to be tough sledding against a really good Green Bay team. I'm just in glad Lambeau we Field. both
1: picked him, them to win, uh, make the Super Bowl. <laughs> We're in this together.
0: Uh, yeah, that's right. Solidary, bud. All right, guys. That's all we got. We will be back on Sunday night with our typical week four recap. Until then, enjoy the games. Enjoy the weekend. And thank you for listening to the ring NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Thanks, guys. For today's show comes from Sonos. Sonos meticulously designs every speaker from the inside out. I use my Sonos Beam on a daily basis, guys. It provides unbelievable sound quality when I'm watching TV, when I'm cooking, it projects all the way to the kitchen. I hear my favorite podcasts crystal clear whenever I need it. And have you heard? Sonos just came out with a new portable speaker. Enjoy brilliant sound anywhere with Sonos Move, the durable, battery-powered smart speaker for indoor and outdoor listening. Check it out at Sonos.com.